Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let's go back to 2011. Look at the World Cup with Squidge. Let's go back. Oh, baby, let's go back with Squidge. Hello, welcome to the Rugby World Cup reg- oh, Squidge Rugby, Rugby, oh, Rugby Retrospect. All I remember is this podcast is definitely about rugby. About what? Rugby. What's that? Oh, please don't tell me you've forgotten rugby. We've got to fill half an hour talking about this now. Wait, wait, wait. Which one's rugby? Is that the one um, with the offside? So, line? what? What are you thinking of? Oh, hang on. That wasn't rugby. So, okay, so, so, right, okay. So, you know, you probably have some in the cupboard, actually, if you want to go and have a look. Some right. rugby. It's like this kind of, like, little... Just open my cupboard. Oh, what would you call... It's like, a, it's kind of like a biscuit. It's kind of like a really kind of savoury biscuit. Okay. And okay. you'd normally, like, you'd put, like, butter or margarine on it, and then you put, like, cheese, and you put maybe tomato, you put different toppings on it. Okay. They, they they come in like little orange containers usually, okay. but the own brand ones may come in different different kind of like crumbly crispy packets. Not crispy as in you can eat them, just in like they make a kind of crunchy noise when you're fiddling them. They they rattle a lot. Okay, and we're doing a podcast about that. We're we're doing a podcast about that. Yeah, okay. that's what okay. that's what rugby is. Okay, weirdly they hold a World Cup of okay. all kinds of things, including rugby, and also. Today, though, instead of that, we're going to talk about the Crackers World Cup of 2011, <laughs> in which Australia played Italy. Hang on, there's a joke here. Something about Adrian Jacobs and Jacobs Crackers, maybe? <laughs> okay. I was thinking the joke is Quade Cooper was Crackers. Sure, sure. We'll go yeah. with that. <laughs> Who can forget when Wallace and Gromit went to the moon in order to put cheese on the rugby? Oh, rugby, Gromit. What position would Wallace play if he was a rugby player? Seven. Seven. Any reason why? He'd be a really hapless seven. Okay. Like the kind of seven who just gives away penalties without noticing. He's kind of crafty. People forget that Wallace is kind of a genius inventor. But at the same time, he was also kind of an idiot. And he got bailed out by his dog quite a lot. <laughs> he is a bird. Gromit doesn't fuck about. Gromit is a, Gromit is a fly half. Yeah. Gromit is a 10. I was going to say, Gromit is a 10 who is better than Dan Carter. Yes. Like, imagine Carter and Wilkinson and put them together and you get Gromit. Gromit is Dan Carter if he was played by Tom Cruise. Sure. I imagine you're the first person to ever say that. <laughs> that is a brand new sentence. That is a that is a brand new sentence for everyone to enjoy. So, as I say, they did a World Cup of Crackers back a few years ago. And boy, was this game a crack. It was, I can't really say it was a cracker. We are going to, the idea with this podcast is we're working for every game of the 2011 Rugby World Cup. We are, begin, I'm dropping the pretense now, we're talking about rugby. Okay. But not crackers. Um, I've got lost in my own joke. Just to make sure it's rugby. So, this match finished 32-6 to Australia. However, I don't think that quite tells the story of the game. Uh, no. I mean, they went in six all at half time. Yeah. And, of course, this was a match which included the Italian rugby team which meant that from about 50 minutes onwards, they were dog shit. Wait, they they have a, they have a full team made out of crackers. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> By the way, you're listening to Robbie Owen and Will Owen. Carry on. Oh, yeah. I got so lost in my bit that didn't work at all. I wound up forgetting to introduce us. Fine. I forgot it. I forgot it. I forgot what we're doing as well. A flying start. Carry on talking great. about... The game of rugby. What a great start to this game. Okay, so the last episode we did was on Italy. It wasn't. <laughs> it was on England against Argentina. 
which was one of the worst games of rugby I've ever seen. It was atrocious and horrible to watch that in full more than once. Like nine years on, it comes back and haunts me like the most hideous rash that's really specific and only comes back when you want to do a podcast on rashes. Which incidentally, what are rashes? Are they like rugby? Don't start. Anyway, I'm not going to do that. This game was an improvement on that one. But also it's kind of a... So the first half, nothing happens in quite an entertaining way, in kind of like a... Yeah, if you're wanting Italy to win, or I guess you just want the underdog to win, Mm. you're kind of... I don't think entertained is the right word, to be honest, but you're slightly captivated by... I choose a synonym for entertained. But you're slightly (laughs) captivated by the thought that the underdog's doing fairly well and keeping it level all the way up to half time. Mm. But I think... The sort of semantics of the scoreboard are what's interesting rather than the actual throwing about of that funny, that, 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 you know, that like rubbery thing that they. Don't do this. Don't do this. Okay, sorry. The, so I think the interesting thing about that first half is that Italy basically approached it with a game plan that worked and they had tactics to stop Australia. Yeah. Australia didn't. They came out like, oh, we're gonna, we're gonna tear them apart. We're just gonna chuck the ball about. And we're going to score some points. We're going to play some actual rugby with like the ball moving about and loads of passing and that. And in that way, that Australian backline, I mean, their starting backline was Will Genia, Quade Cooper on like, and this was peak Quade yeah. Cooper. This was a year after his kind of red year where he'd been completely dominant. So you had peak Genia and Cooper. You had Digby Ioani, who people forget was a phenomenal was player. Such a good player. Yeah. You had Adamashi Cooper on the other wing and you had Kurtley Beale at fullback, which that's a hell of a back three. Yeah. And we won't talk about the centres. No, they they also had two centres. <laughs> yeah. Actually, let's touch on Pat McCabe, who was, in a way, actually, I think, quite ahead of his time. Expand. Not in a good way, but he would really suit 2019 World Cup rugby. He is exactly the kind of player that 12s are nowadays, in that they just send the ball, he crashes the ball in, mm. he makes his passes when he's asked to, and he doesn't do anything flashy. Like, he is just a solid, like, safety blanket of a player. And kind of you needed that with Quade Cooper. True. And those are kind of in fashion now. You look at yeah, kind of no, Ryan Crotty started the trend, but then you've got as well the Sam Johnson, Happy Parks. Parks. They're Day kind Landing. of the, the go-to. Absolutely, Delande. They're kind of the go-to player now as a twelve. And Pat McCabe was that ahead of his time, but he also didn't. When people say it was ahead of his time, they tend to mean he was good, but in a way that didn't fit in. Pat McCabe didn't really work, but he would have worked now. No. It's also worth keeping in mind who he was selected ahead of, mm. that they dropped Matt Gitto for this World Cup. When, like, yes. At full strength, if you're putting Matt Gitto at 12, I guess Ashley Cooper into the centre with O'Connor on the wing, that's a proper like porno backline there. Yeah. And probably the best backline you'll see in World Rugby across this sort of two or three year stretch, yeah. I suppose. And even then, they dropped James O'Connor to the bench. And he comes on the second half and causes absolute chaos, yeah. which we'll come on to. Yeah. But I think it is worth touching on, firstly, the context of where Australia were coming from leading into this game. So they'd come off the previous year, having had quite a good year, having they beaten the All Blacks, that famous game in Hong Kong, where James O'Connor scores in the last minute and then yeah. converts his own try. Like, brilliant, phenomenal Australian win. They'd then, they'd lost the game to Scotland, but they'd battered Wales, they'd won in Twickenham. They'd had, oh no, they lost in Twickenham too with the Chris Ashton try. But they they then beat England in, and they kind of had this. They were in a pretty good place going into it. Yeah, and then they had, as always seems to happen in Australian rugby, loads of behind the scenes antics. So you had Robbie Deans, who was at the time the coach, fell out with basically the entire squad. You had all the stuff with players saying it was toxic. You then had them go into their first warm up game against Samoa, and what happened in that game against Samoa? Uh, they picked Mark Gerard at fullback. For starters, and mm. Rod Davis on the right wing. Basically, they really underestimated Samoa, who went full strength, and basically their team was stacked with world class players. Mm. And Samoa beat them fairly comprehensively in this World Cup warm up, and like they were totally deserved winners and were on top in most facets mm. of the game. And that was a far stronger Samoa team than it was Australian team. Yeah, like, it by was. Far. It was as good a Samoa team as we've ever seen. And they went on to beat Scotland and they went on to beat Wales. And they went on to really push South Africa in this World Cup, as we'll get on to in another game. But it was, as I say, it's as good a Samoa team as I've ever seen, as good as they've ever had. Yeah, with Mapasua and Tuolangi and the likes. Yeah. And so, despite having a perfectly decent game in that match, Matt Gitto, who was at 10 against Samoa, gets shit-canned. He gets kind of, he takes the blame for this. 
and he gets thrown off to one side. Yeah, and somehow Nick Phipps remains in the squad. Yeah, he then, Matt Gitto, of course, also famously sends that tweet after he finds out he's dropped. Remind me what he said. So, the day before the Australian squad is named for the 2011 Rugby World Cup, the night before, Matt Gitto tweets, Thank you, ball boys. Thank you, linesmen. That's it. (laughs) And you know what's great about that? Because he has no regard for... Well, I'm not supposed to spoil anything yet because the squad's not been named. Yeah. But he knows that he is so good that the IOU will probably, you know, hypothetically, maybe change their entire eligibility laws just so he can play for them four years later. I don't know. <laughs> and this is the thing. Like, he was told the night before and he apparently just asked to be flown back home and kind of left that. And apparently he sent that waiting for his taxi to the airport <laughs> after having just been told... So yeah, Matt Gitto's gone, despite being their best 12 still. And he was yeah. kind of, he was playing more 10 at the time, but you still could have slid him into 12 with Quay Cooper at 10. Definitely. who was, Quaid was probably like form of his life at this point. Yeah. Uh, and he starts the game really well. He puts through this really lovely grubber right at the start that kind of pins us Italy on the five metre line. Yeah. Uh, so Quaid Cooper, who had of course been named public enemy number one in New Zealand, because he was born there, he grew up there early on in his life, and then moved to Australia and went on to play for them and play really well for them. Like he was famously named... Public Enemy Number 1 by a New Zealand newspaper just before the tournament with Bin Laden at number 3. <laughs> Jesus. Of course, it's worth mentioning as well that Quade Cooper didn't help in terms of getting plus points with the New Zealand public when he need Richie McCaw in the face. No, of course he'd done that in the Tri-Nations yeah. earlier, hadn't he? Yeah. Uh, which was still the Tri-Nations at the time. Mm. You can call it that. So yeah, Quade Cooper, not a popular boy. He was booed at every kick. And like his first kick goal, he horribly slices. Yeah. And it's a proper, like, you just assume it's going over because it's between the posts, even if it's quite like 30, 40 yards out. And no, nowhere near. Yeah, all of the people who turned up to this game, you can tell they weren't that bothered about the result. Just so long as Quade <laughs> Cooper had a horrific game, they were fine. And yeah. that was genuinely the biggest cheer of the day when Quade Cooper missed his first kick at goal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so the game... Starts out, as I say, it's a really interesting first half. And then basically, as I say, as we say, it's six all at half time and it's 32 six at full time. And you can kind of tell how that second half goes. But the first half, I think, is really interesting because Italy played it pretty much exactly right. And by which I mean they had one thing they were really, or two things they were really good at, and they just did those over and over again. So their scrum was going well and they kept it tight, they kept it set piece based the whole time. And at scrum half, they had. One Mr. Fabio Semenzato, who had an absolutely phenomenal game. Yeah, he was putting loads of pressure on Adam Ashley Cooper, particularly who dropped three mm. of his box kicks. And they still they managed to turn over Beale and Cooper a couple of times. So I kept count of this. So in the first half of the game, right, Semenzato puts up eight box kicks, okay? Within one phase, within by the end of the resulting ruck, yeah. Italy had regained possession on six out of the eight. Wow, that's astonishing. So on one of them, Parisa gives away a penalty for a high tackle. Fine, whatever. Sergio's going to Sergio. (laughs) And on the other, they smash Curtly Beal, which is better than turning the ball over. So (laughs) I'd say, really, they did really well out of that. And you look at his kicks, they're absolutely inch perfect. Yeah. And I, the second half against the All Blacks in Chicago by Conor Murray is the only kind of performance of box kicking i can think that's comparable of it's one of the best halves of box kicks i've ever seen looking back at it because i remembered him playing well and when i was looking at it this is incredible every kick is like right on the money an awkward position where they can get a really good chase on and both the italian wingers actually had quiet games with the ball in hand but did well putting pressure on and so did parise parise chased really hard on quite a few and zani as well and they were always either competing or winning the ball back or just smashing them into touch. There's a couple where they put the yeah. winner into touch, and there's one where Zani then turns it over immediately afterwards on the resulting phase. And it was kind of incredible. And actually, they then stopped box kicking in the second half because Italy, oh, sorry, Australia began to pull away a bit. And that was the real turning point, was the moment Italy were no longer, they were trying to play rugby rather than kind of doing these really negative tactics that were working so well because they were so good at them. It's worth saying as well that the Australian commentators which I watched. I don't know if you watched the mm, Australian well. coverage. Yeah, 
they were not happy with the way Italy were playing. And it, no. I think it was Phil Kearns who said, well, clearly playing incredibly negative, boring rugby can sometimes get you rewards. When Semizato had just put through a kick in open play and mm. Quay Cooper tried to step around everybody and was caught for holding on. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the Australian commentators were not happy, firstly, with Alan Rowland, who was refereeing, and secondly, the way Italy were playing. We'll get on to Alan Roland. Yeah. But I do just think I want to hover on Semizato a bit because I thought he Definitely. was phenomenal. And he's kind of been forgotten because he sort of came along. He was basically Italy's scrum off for two seasons, I think. He was kind of that Six Nations leading in where he smashed Mike Phillips once. Yeah. And he was good. And then he was really good in this World Cup, I remember thinking. And he's phenomenal in that first half. And I say he's brought off around 60 minutes and he kind of is far quieter the second half because Australia just have all the ball and he yeah. doesn't have the chance to just hang the ball up. But that works as well because the one thing that's going well for Italy is set piece, it's scrum and more. And their line out is solid and their line out is doing well. And it's the one thing kinda of James Hall brought up after the game that actually their set piece is fantastic. Yeah. And we really struggled against it. Castro was good, wasn't he? Mmm. And he ate Sokopi Kepo alive a few times. Not that I know much about scrums, <laughs> but whether it was legal or not, he was killing him and marching back even on opposition ball, marching him back a good yeah. five yards. Which was very impressive to watch. Though there's one really weird scrum where the Italy pack starts marching them forwards and, you know, marching Australia backwards. And then suddenly out of nowhere, they seem to just stop pushing and Australia start to push them back. And it kind of becomes this weird counter shove that almost wins the ball back for Australia because Parise is too stubborn to pick and go. <laughs> yeah, he wants to save himself for the next phase rather than wasting himself by being at the yeah. bottom of the next rug. Should we, should we talk about Parise for a bit? Sure. I will always, always say yes to that because I feel like me and you have a slight difference of opinion on Parise. Yes. That you think he's a great player who's a bit of a knob, which is completely yes. justified and correct. Whereas yes. I think he's a god amongst men and one of the greatest players ever and we don't deserve him. And don't get me wrong, he is a knob, but he deserves to be because he's the best. I mean, I pointed this out before, but there's something fitting about the fact that his first name is an anagram of Sir Ego. <laughs> it's yeah that's correct but he deserves it so i because i remember there being a period in which he just thought sergio parise is the best eight in the world and he's brilliant and he's Italy's best player and just kind of thinking that was it and it's funny going back to that period because this was kind of in the middle of that era yeah and going oh no he was always a twat like he was <laughs> always a massive ego twat and if he wasn't so caught up on how brilliant he was he could have been phenomenal he could have been like the Kieran Reed in sort of twenty thirteen fourteen when he was unplayable. Parise could have been that if he wasn't so caught up in his own hype. Yeah, I don't know. I personally would probably pick Parise in a team over Reed, which is something we disagree on and could mm. probably argue about for ages. There are probably two or three moments of Parise that I would like to talk about from this game. Yes, the first of which was you remember the short pods that you got in twenty eleven. Yeah. He gets the ball on those in the second half. And then he throws like this wild miss three pass. Yeah. Where yes. If he passed to anybody but Gonzalo Garcia, that would have been a sure line break. Because he found so much space there. But he also happened to find the world's slowest 12. Yeah, well, yeah that's it. So he chucks it wide. And he said there's the Australian defenders kind of really spread out. Like there's, there's probably a similar number of defenders as there is Italian attackers. But they're so spread out that you think anyone else in the world would probably make a line break here. But Gonzalo Garcia catches it and he kind of looks at the space and he just kind of thinks to himself like, what? It's not supposed to be like that. And he clearly, the whole time he's just staring at the space while just running into the player straight in front of him. Yeah. And he kind of has a moment where he thinks like, I could try and step him. And he tries to step him and he doesn't. And you kind of think like, you could have like, you could have dropped a bungalow into that space. <laughs> and, you, and it'd still be the Australian defenders on either side waiting there, like on either side of a fence and garden as well. Like you could put a garage in and they still could have fitted that into that gap. And Gonzalo Garcia, even if it was a mansion, wouldn't have been able to run <laughs> through it. And he still, he just looks lost, doesn't he? Like yeah. you know when you find like a loose head prop finds himself in loads of space and he looks around like, oh, I really wish I had a back somewhere next to me who could run into this. He looks like that. It's like, no, 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 you are yeah. the inside centre. You're also supposed to be exposing this space <laughs> he just he he's because he's not even looking for contact he's just confused by the thought that he could do something else yeah and he's clearly staring at it and going what, uh, what, uh? 
So, Parise, go on. Your next um, Parise moment. Next Parise moment. I'm going to save the best till last, so rather than doing it chronologically. Because yes. the other thing was... Oh, because there's, there's two contenders for which the best Parise moment is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say what I think is in second place. Or oh, it's kind okay. of the worst. The one where he... Italy have a five-meter scrum. And yes. yes. five minutes to go. And this is kind of what I remember this game by. Yeah. And again, Castro had gone off by this point. So La Chichiro and Cittadini, who the Australian commentators described as being 150 pounds <laughs> on the commentary. But they get the upper hand and drive the full five and a bit meters over the try line for Parise to keep the ball in his legs. And a couple of times, he does really, really well to keep it in. And then as soon as it comes easy for him, the ball slips the grasp of his feet and goes loose and Australia clear. Yeah. Like they, the pack gets him over the try line and he doesn't even knock it on in trying to ground it. The ball just spills out. Like he just kind of, it kind of falls out from between his legs and he doesn't score despite being over the try line. And it's horrific. Like it's, it's horrible. Especially for a god to do that. Like, how'd you screw that up? It's it's almost like he's not actually infallible. Don't know about that. But the final Parise moment, which yes. you know exactly what's coming, is yes, yes, yes. Parise. I will actually throw in before we before we get there as well. Yeah. There's a lovely moment as well in the first half where he absolutely smashes Gania. Like he he times his run quite well yes. to the extent in which like Phil Kearns and the Australian commentators are convinced he's offside and watching it back he wasn't he was fine it's really questionable but like he's eyeing him up and he's spotted a gap in the lineup. yeah come through eats Genia and then Zani comes in afterwards and turns it over that's the... or might be Barbieri yeah that's the thing so I think as a scrum off in that position your first thought isn't he's offside it's more how hmm. the hell have my forwards let him through that line out yeah and you're right that the impressive thing in, about that isn't necessarily the timing it's the way you've managed to find the gaps and like it's a big Australian yeah. pack he manages to get through them to touch yeah. the nine which is the Australian pack's job to protect him who cares whether he's offside or not yeah but yeah no that's a good point um yes so the Parise moment was that he takes yes. an intercept and yeah originally looks like he might go the whole way but finds people who are somehow faster than him. He has oh. O'Connor and Ashley Cooper kind of tracking across on either side, kind of pincering in yeah. on him. And then he puts in this beautiful <sighs> blind grubber. No! Which goes sideways. And he's, he nutmegs Aquera, granted. But that was off his left foot. And it was absolutely the right option, in my opinion. No, he, no, it wasn't. Yes, it was. What else no, was he going to do? What, okay, if you're putting in a kick, you put it in so it can be chased. Because it, you also say it's Aquera. It wasn't Aquera. It was Ricardo Bocchino. Oh, was it? Who had just come on. Yes. And A, giving the ball to Ricardo Bocchino is never the right option. Yeah, in that case, you probably win this argument. Not that Oquera is a great. <laughs> Ricardo Bocchino. So when people go back and they look at the history of great shit Italian tens, there's, there's so many out there. There's Kelly Harmona, is perhaps the standout. Oh. You had Craig Gower. Because he was a cunt as well. Like, he wasn't just shit. Like, he came over to Union from being, like... Look up some of the things that Craig Gower's done, because they're absolutely horrible. Like, he puts Israel Folau to shame. Wow. Uh, like, Israel Folau is not the most despicable, recently kind of depatched, depart, de- de- got rid of Australian player. He, honestly, like, no, like, he groped an underage girl, like, it's oh. it, on a golf course. It's horrible. Anyway. But then went to play for Italy. Yeah, there's him, there's... Kelly Harmona, who did things comparable in a rugby perspective of equally <laughs> horrible, um, also had that haircut that was equally horrible. Yeah. It's not good. And yet, people will forget Ricardo Bocchino because he kind of came out of nowhere. So he was like, he was a scrum half playing at Aroni or something, wasn't he? He was playing, a centre like... who played like Italian leagues and played a little yeah. bit for Aroni, yeah. And he suddenly popped up like end of that Six Nations that year. And people were like, who's this guy? And I think he kind of... I. As I remember, he had one good game off the bench or something where he kind of looked balanced and Italy put all their stock in him and he became the only other 10 other than Luciano O'Cara they took to the World Cup. And no one had heard of him. No one knew who he was. No one knew anything about him. He just popped up. He played every game for Italy in that World Cup and then disappeared never to be seen again. Yeah, you've made a point before to me that if Freddie Burns was Italian, he'd have won 100 caps. Oh, yeah, yeah. If Jason Tuffy was Italian, he'd have won 50. Like, yeah, and that's such a weird way of thinking about it. And like, 
it's so weird because we have seen Luciano or Cuera have some good games before. But there yeah. was one brilliant moment in this game where he's trying to go for a cross kick just after they've regathered one of Semenzato's brilliant box kicks. Mm. And like he managed to land it like so far out of the ground. Yes. And I'm pretty sure he managed to like land it in the Forsyth Bar Stadium to go over the post yeah. that Martin Rodriguez <laughs> was aiming for the previous day. Yeah. <laughs> Rodriguez's kick actually sails somewhere over, <laughs> over the stadium as this game was going on. It still hadn't landed. It was still floating behind. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? <laughs> yeah. No, it's just really off target. Um, but yeah, so Parise puts in this like perfectly sideways, perfectly horizontal grubber. As I say, Nutmegs is 10 who's chasing it. Yeah. Because he doesn't put it forwards for him to go. He puts it completely sideways. And yes, it pulls it away from the Italian defenders, but it's nowhere near either of his players. Wait, it's, no, it's too near either of his players. And the thing it reminds me of is... It would have been two years before this when Alan Wynne Jones makes that intercept against the All Blacks. Yes. And he begins storming downfield, and Tom Shanklin is running down the wing and calls for a cross kick. And now I know it's Alan Wynne Jones, and I know he's perfect and immortal and all the things you're saying Parise is, but you can't expect a lock forward to put in a cross kick. Yeah, yeah. And you can't expect even Parise to put in this kick. And I feel like he had that Alan Wynne Jones moment go through his head, and he kind of had that in the back of his mind of like, oh, he should have done a kick there instead of just being caught. And really, all Parise wants to do is either just go for the line himself, because it's O'Connor and Ashley Cooper catching up with him, but he's still probably got another five yards in him before they, they get him, or try and offload, because they're close enough to you. Yeah, there is And that. neither of those players are expecting that. Mm. Like, slow down, take the hit, and offload. Like, try and free an arm before you go into contact. Know what's coming. Or set up a ruck. You've got more support than there are Australians, and try and recycle the ball. Don't try a stupid like speculative completely sideways grubber where they get turned over the following phase you see the thing is this is the main reason why i'm going to disagree with this because i think that him recycling the ball relies on the other 14 players being competent yeah i mean but they were competent in the first half true true anyway i i think we're probably talking too long about this one grubber kick which eventually (laughs) led to nothing right so i think the other thing that's notable about parise is in the first half, Italy are really up for it. And as I said, they're hitting every tackle. Australia get into 22 a few times, and yet they never get beyond, I think, eight phases in the full match. Right. There's another stat that I'll come back to on the phase count. But Italy's defence is excellent. You know, they give away a couple of penalties in 22, which is fine, and allows Italy to get, the Australia to get that kind of 6 0 lead start, and then Italy pull that back. And Australia miss another penalty as well. But they're solid. They're really good in defence, they're well organised. And tactically with the ball, they actually have a good game plan. And they're targeting... Like, Ashley Cooper is a really good aerial operator. Like, he's really good on the high ball. Yeah. And yet they're managing, just through the quality of Semenzato's box kicks and the quality of the chase, to put him under pressure and knock the ball on and keep gaining the ball further and further downfield. It's not to turn the spring box last year in the World Cup, in the way they'd hang it and put pressure on, and it was all that zone strategy noise moving forward. Mm-hmm. And yet they then... The moment Australia scored the first try through Ben Robertson... They suddenly change completely. Oh, ben, sorry, Ben Alexander, Alexander isn't it? Yeah. Ben Alexander, yeah. They change completely. And you can see, so the ball is cleared from this resulting kickoff, and Parise is kind of stood by the sideline, and his body language changed like 180. He suddenly looks dour and like, oh, I can't believe this is happening again. And all that's happened is they've conceded one try. They're five points behind. That's nothing in a test match. Yeah. Like with with half an hour to go near enough, and yet Parise's kind of just already resigned himself to, I can't believe we came so close and we lost again. Yeah. And they then instantly concede a really soft try to Ashley Cooper and they just begin to fall apart. And they concede the bonus point inside about 12 minutes. Yeah. And all of those tries look really easy. And Italy just yeah. looks so deflated. As you say, within five minutes of the second half, it looks like Italy have already lost that game. And it was almost inevitable yeah. that we were going to get that try bonus point in Australia, which they got in the end. Mm. Note how well Ashley Cooper played in the second half after he was playing in the centre yes. and didn't have Semenzato kicking down his throat all the time. Like, he was so good. His lines were really good. Just the way mm. he sort of came onto the ball was brilliant. And Italy didn't really know how to cope with the Australian backline at that point. As I say, it's such a good backline, whereas Italy made them look stupid quite a lot in the first half. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that Italian back... No, sorry, Australian backline changes completely once James O'Connor comes on. Yes, it does. It does. And... He's suddenly filling in as a first receiver and he's dropping off passes everywhere and he's just being a general kind of stepping and attacking threat 
he comes on from McCabe, who was playing 12, and they move Viangra into 12, and they put Adamashi Cooper into 13. Yeah. And O'Connor just takes on that kind of, which happened far more at the time, that kind of roaming winger license. Yeah. In that he just wanders about and he looks for the ball and he starts dropping off passes and he starts giving passes and hitting lines and he's fantastic. He was like he great changed the game completely, that, wasn't he? And also mm. he looked like the perfect midpoint between Lee Halfpenny and Justin Bieber at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was he looked I remember thinking like, Oh, he looks really young, but he was, he was like nineteen. Yeah. And he because he properly had like a two thousand and nine Justin Bieber haircut. Yeah. With the dyed highlights and everything. Yeah. It it was a look. It was a look that is thankfully now dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think as much as anything, the Australia being able to run away with it in the way they did, to score four tries in quick succession, was psychological from Italy. It was, we've done this so many times in the Six Nations, and they dropped off. And actually, I don't think they were that unfit, as becomes the suggestion that actually they, they, they made so many tackles. And blah, 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 blah. I just think they were so used to that happening to them. Yeah. That they let it happen again. And I think that team had it in them to win that game and to come back from being five points down, which, as I say, is nothing. And they then get a lineup in the opposition half and they blow it. They give away a penalty right away. And the whole thing just begins to fall apart. Yeah, it snowballs. And that's the thing. Winning is an instinct. Hmm. And yes. if France went, even this French team, or like Wales or something like that, went five points down in the start of the second half, they would then have it in them to go, Right, well, all we need to do is get down there and maybe kick a penalty within two. You know, if we score a try, even a lucky try, you know, we're level again, that sort of thing. Whereas, as you say, we see all the time in the Six Nations where Italy just kind of roll over and die. And it's like, oh, well, we did well, it's 50 minutes. But I think you're right that it's not necessarily a fitness thing. It's not having that instinct to come back and win, which is such like, it's a different skill to building leads and sitting on it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And being able to chase back from only five points down. Yeah. Like, it's not that far away. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The other thing is Italy's attack was up and down. Like, yes, we saw the, Parise, the two Parise chances. But there's another time when Italy turned the ball over. I think it's Zani or Barbieri on one wing. And they begin to spread it. And the entire Italian line stand as they were in defence... And they just kind of ship it one along, one along, one along. And then Andrea Marzi comes into the line from fullback at pace. And he kind of then looks round, like in in the same kind of way you see Elliot Daly doing now, or Vili LaRue doing when there's a turnover. Like they, they hit the line from pace and they look to see what their options are outside them. Yeah. And he looks over and he just sees everyone lined up completely static in a straight line. And so he just kind of takes it towards contact, then passes it to Orquera, who then throws a miss pass to Canale, yeah. who knocks it off. And of course, Orquera passes it about five yards behind him as well yes and completely just kills the momentum of the overlap yeah and it's such a shame because i think this italian team were better than they were which is a sentence that doesn't make any sense but at least i'm not talking about crackers so they also have moko bergamasco on the wing who is has one of the least angry games i've ever seen him have yeah the thing is i don't understand bergamasco as a player because Mm. he was allegedly a winger (laughs) <laughs> who I don't think I've ever seen score a try. No, I've once on a highlights package seen him score a yeah. try. There's that one try they used to play at the start of the Six Nations coverage on the BBC every year. Yes. Of him scoring and then screaming and throwing the ball in the air. Yeah. That's the one try I remember Bergamasco scoring and I didn't see it happen. But I don't get him whatsoever. Like, what was he good at other than kicking those penalties against France when they won in Rome? Well, no, because he was passionate and he actually played hard. I yeah. don't mind that. Like he he wasn't he was never anonymous. You never didn't notice Mirko Bergamasco was playing. True. Like yes, it wasn't always for good reasons, but he always gave everything. Yeah. And I kind of yeah. like that. I kind of like a hardworking winger. 
Yeah, I don't know. And of course, I also go back to that time when Jiffy ripped into him on the commentary and so did the whole, Bergamasco is an absolute clown when he started to fight <laughs> Wales. That's one of the first Bergamasco moments that also comes to mind, which is good if you're a winger and the first thing that comes to mind is a fight. <laughs> he, the word they always used about him was fiery, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. He was a fiery winger. Yeah. I think, speaking of starting fights, should we talk about Alan Roland? Sure. Okay, so the commentator at the beginning of the game says Alan Roland, who probably is the number one referee in the world. Yeah. And it's like, when is that? I mean, first off, my first thought was, well, that's not going to be the consensus for much longer. And then my second (laughs) thought was, was that ever the consensus? Like, Nigel and Barnes were still... And they kind of talk about how he's likely going to get the final. And it's funny because I wonder whether World Rugby were looking at that until the red card happened. At which point it's way too controversial. Even if they agreed with it, you can't give him in the final. Like, he's just done one of the most controversial cards in rugby history that people still talk about now almost 10 years on. Everyone's after his head. Yeah. Like, people other than us doing this podcast talk about it now. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, clearly, if they were going to give Joubert the final anyway, then, Mm. (laughs) you know, they must have been desperate. So... Yeah. (laughs) There is, though, if if you're a Wales fan, if you still think about that Sam Warburton tackle... There's a great moment at the beginning in which Alan Roland, because it really rains heavily and then the, the rain eases off as it goes on, is just soaked to his skin. He is just damp and soggy as anything. And there's something quite fun in looking at that and going, I know it's a couple of weeks ahead of him doing anything to make me aggravated against him, but yeah, but it's going to be a nightmare drying those socks out. He's going to be feeling that the entire game. Those were horrific conditions as well, because usually when you think of like the whole sort of like fullbacks nightmare thing, you think mm. about it absolutely like chucking it down and, you know, you can't see the ball, that sort of thing. But those games where the ball's just a bit soggy and yeah. people's shirts are slipping away from you and that sort of thing, and you're still on the wing and you're just getting cold and having to warm up and that sort of thing, like... Those conditions are horrid to play in. And yeah. it looked like such a like second team pitch at the start of the game, didn't it? Just seeing those conditions and there were, coming down. This is the last World Cup game I remember where there were empty seats. Hmm. There was like a huge block of empty seats, which every game in 2015 and 2019 came within 100 seats of selling out. Yeah. Like every game good as sold out. Like there were basically no tickets available for anyone. And if you looked at like Japan 2019, there was a few blocks in which, and small blocks, which were corporate seats that weren't taken. So like I, when I went to see France Tonga, I ended up sitting in one of them because there was a block right on the halfway line near the pitch where Steve Maffey kicked me. <laughs> of course. In which I, I, I went and sat in because I arrived late at that game. It was a horrible nightmare, blood pumping out of my head. It was horrible. But yeah, there were odd corporate blocks, but there were like blocks of seats that weren't taken here. And the point at which they cut to the fans in the crowd and you could see rows of empty seats behind them. And it's really weird to see a Rugby World Cup game where that's the case. Yeah, well, I can tell you that the official attendance was 25,731. I don't know what the stadium's overall capacity was, but I would guess looking at the crowds that that was roughly, that was probably exactly the capacity. But it was probably like 80%, 85% full. Like there were blocks of empty seats. Anyway, Alan Roland. So he loves a penalty, doesn't he? He loves putting his arm in the oh, air. Oh boy, does he. Like, like it's almost, there's probably some sort of dance to be done to put together with Alan Roland. Like, I don't know if it's some sort of just, he can't help it. It's like a spasm throwing his arm in the air randomly mm. and just blowing. But he loves his whistle. He loves blowing it. He loves giving it a little toot and throwing a penalty out. So the first half, again, did oh, not flow God. at all. Yeah, it was horrific. Like, he was just blowing one way, then the other, then the other. There was one in which a team, so there's one phase in which Five times in a row, a team didn't get to three phases because he was just blowing up for a new penalty. And I actually counted. It was 21 minutes before a team played more than five phases. They played to eight phases without him blowing for noticing a penalty. He played advantage once, about 15 minutes. He played advantage once and advantage over was given. But yeah, he was just constantly finding new things, new infringements. Was the one where nobody was retaining the ball, was that the one where Wilgeny tapped and went and then got turned over? Then Luciano Aguero yes. tried to do a cross kick and he just kicked it straight to be a one hit your counter-attack. <laughs> yeah. Um, Italy get another penalty. They thump it downfield. They give away a truck and trailer turnover. The penalty. Italy thump it back. They give away a penalty at the scrum. And it's just this constant back and forth of penalties and just Alan Roland finding new things to do. And I hate to talk about referees and I hate to talk yeah. about Alan Roland in particular because but whatever. Uh, well, I don't hate... Mm, it's a grey area. Yeah. And yeah, but it's, it's... It was quite hard to ignore as a performance from a referee. And I don't think necessarily any of them were wrong. 
And I think in a way he'd probably suit modern rugby better now because there weren't players like at one point Stephen Moore comes straight out of a scrum and just dives on the top of a ruck. And like Adam Ashley Cooper came in the side twice and there were players giving us stupid penalties you don't see as often anymore. Yeah. And there's someone on Twitter said something recently that along the lines of and I apologize I forgot your name, but it was something along the lines of do you think modern rugby is tighter or players attack better because referees let more go? And I don't think that is the case. I think the standard refereeing is far higher. And I think players actually play to the laws and play to referees' interpretation far better. And I think clearly since that World Cup, you've got more and more teams doing analysis of referees, which they talk about now. They talk about a lot. Yeah. And the first case I remember of it was about two years afterwards, Warren Gatlin dropping Geffen Jenkins because whoever the referee for that game was, I think it might have been Garcez, didn't like how Geffen scrummaged right. whenever he'd seen him yeah. refereeing before. As we put Paul James in, and he said like it was just because of the referee. It was entirely it wasn't dropping him. It was entirely because the referee likes the way Paul James scrummages, but doesn't like the way Geffen scrummages. Yeah. I think there's more of a consensus on what referees do and don't bother penalising these days as well. Yeah. In terms of you know sometimes you can kind of go off your feet and get away with it. You know by the time the referee's put the whistle to his mouth and that sort of thing. And like we spoke the other episode about crossing and how that's mm. not really a thing anymore. The only time we really see that is if a forward starts running sideways behind the person who has the tip line, then you get done for crossing. Yeah. That's basically the only time you ever see that. So there's certain laws that teams just kind of know they won't get penalised for. Absolutely. So I think this brings us on to the final segment. I think we've about covered what we can from this game. I said, I have the fewest notes on this. I think it's kind of... The first half, not a lot happens, but Italy play it quite well. And the second half, Australia play well. And I know we haven't really talked about any of their tries, but they were just sort of, you know, Adam Ashley Cooper picks a really good line. Then Digby Oani picks a couple of really good lines. And a lot of what happens is just they start, A, O'Connor comes on, is able to create more space. And they start, therefore, being able to get it to Ashley Cooper and to Ioani in more space. Yeah. And Curly Beal. Yeah. And that Ioani try was just taken pretty standardly well. It was sort of the nine doing the switch with the centre feeding it back inside to Ioani. And it's weird because you look at that and think that looks like a really telegraphed move. But I guess an already in their heads beaten Italian team didn't really know how to cover that. Yeah, especially because it's exactly the same move they scored their one try against, or one of their their first half try against Samoa off. Mm, Of course. Of that inside ball from 10 to Digby Ioani. Yeah. It was a move they loved at the time. They did it all the time, but it worked because Digby Ioani was brilliant and on great form. Yeah. However, speaking of people on great form, should we move on to our man of the match? Sure. Either side. Who is your leading contender for the best player what was on the pitch in these two games of 30 people in this this game of crackers? Yes. So there's a few that... I mean, Semizato, we've already spoken about at length. Yeah. Castro as well, I think, was brilliant for Italy in terms of manhandling the Australian scrum, but... For Australia, I think Quade Cooper had a really good game. I think he actually managed yes. the game very well. And I think uh, after they finished humouring Italy trying to stay in the game, he didn't do too much mad shit, but still <laughs> controlled the game nicely and brought his runners yeah. in nicely. I think Digby Ioani was great because mm. obviously they managed to pepper Adam Ashley Cooper and Curtly Beale quite a lot in the backfield. But Digby Ioani didn't really have any issues. And I think that's worth commending. Yeah. However, the person I'm going to give him the match is Will Genia because okay. he controlled the game brilliantly. And he did that thing. We've criticised it before. Scrum was picking up and just kind of dumping it off to forwards. But this was, I guess, most of Australia's game plan was based around this. Yeah. If they managed to get a bit of momentum, if they managed to get a long ruck, then Genia has a bit of space to pick and go. He's very mm. quick on his feet. And they have like proper dump-off runners. Rather than, they adapt their game plan, I guess, around 9 and 10 actually having runs rather than just standing static, which I think is very interesting. Did you see Parisa's interview afterwards? Mm, no, I don't think so. It was the thing he brought up was the main difference, was we weren't able to get to Genia in the second half. Right. And he was creating time for all their runners. Yeah. And he said in the first half, we just shut him down and we were able to cut off his options, even if we couldn't get to him quickly enough. Yeah. Uh, and in the second half, we didn't do that. And it was, he like, the whole thing, and he said he name-dropped Genia, he didn't say off nine. Yeah. He was like, we need to stop, shut down Genia. They didn't did, did, and I want to quickly bring this up, they brought on Luke Burgess for him, who was a good player, yes. and his first scrum, he feeds it not straight, yeah. and Roland <laughs> pings it because he's pedantic as a I was going to come on to this on Dick of the Day, was Burgess feeding not straight in 2011, getting pinged for it. <laughs> Is that your Dick of the Day? No, he, he's one nomination. No. He's your, okay, he's a contender. Right, okay. Yes, and it was his first scrum as well, which added to it. Yeah. Uh, my man of the match. Now, I... I think the whole Italian backline had really good second halves. I think Quade Cooper was good throughout. He had a few moments. He had sort of five, ten minutes in which he kind of went off the boil yeah, a bit and he started yeah. doing mad shit. And he tried to. There's a moment right, exactly right at the end of the half, the last play of that first half. 
Simmons after puts a lovely kick down the middle and manages to isolate Cooper and makes the tackle himself. And Quaid just tries to step in and try to downturn everyone. Yeah. And he gets smashed. Ashley Cooper goes off his feet, round the side, seals off. And if they get the penalty, put them level at half time. I, yeah, I think Quaid had a good game. I think Ioani had a good game when he got into it. He wasn't seen in the first half, but he had a very good second half. I think James O'Connor was the main other contender for me. Yeah. And also David Pocock. Had a, yes, he did. David Pocock had a habit of, he made one break and I forgot how quick he was back in the day. Yes, yeah. Like, he didn't have a finger laid on him, does he? And this is no. like when Italy are pretty fresh. Like It's like 10 minutes into the game, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Like he was, I, again, I never remembered him being quick, no. but he was. So Pocock and James O'Connor were kind of contenders for the way Pocock killed a lot of Italy's momentum whenever they got into the 22, or they killed themselves, but, or Alan landed. And Pocock yeah. kind of, he didn't keep them in the game, but he kept them from not being in the game in yes. that first half. But I want to give men of the match to so the person that genuinely impressed me most was Fabio Semizato. And yeah, fair enough. It was only really, he only really played the first 60 minutes, and he only really oh, played well nice. for the first half. But yeah, I'm going with the opposite number of yours. Fabio Semenzato was the player who impressed me most over the course of this game. Fair enough, because when, again, when I think back to this game, I think of Semenzato's kicking. Yeah. And when I first came into this game, I, that was what I remembered. And as you say, like, I didn't remember quite how brilliant it was, but I can remember us sort of discussing at the time, like, oh, Semenzato's playing quite well, isn't he? Mm. So no, that's fair enough. I can't refute your selection. And then, dick of the day, shall I go first? Yeah, you go so, first. So... We, at the beginning, when we were talking about... Our, and Luke Burgess is a contender, as you say. He's he's up there. But yeah. I'd want clear as day, dick of the day for me. And as we were saying, at the beginning, we began talking about the centres. And we skipped over who they were. We mentioned Pat McCabe a bit. We did not talk about Anthony Fienga. For it I'm is thinking. he. For he is my dick of the day. Okay. So, so, there's two things in particular. Firstly, I'm going to read you... Anthony Fienga's stats, okay, oh, okay, for the game. Do you want them? Okay. So, I'm going to start. Clean breaks made, zero. Fair enough. Doesn't always happen for you, even in a game that opens up yeah. as much as that second half. Fine. Defenders beaten, zero. Fine. Offloads, zero. Fine. Passes, zero. <laughs> Meters gained, zero. Carries, zero. So you didn't get the ball? Knock-ons, two. Oh, my God. But there's another oh moment as well. So there's, I remember at the start of the second half, kind of Quade Cooper gives him the ball, and he just drops it, kind of under no pressure. And the commentator goes like, I don't think we've said Anthony Fahinga's name in this game mm. so far. And I was kind of like, oh, no, they haven't. I went to check his stats then and saw he doesn't, he doesn't carry or pass once in the entire match. However, that isn't the moment I want to give him Dick of the Day for. It's a strong contender. Knocking on your first touch within the second half is a strong contender. But the moment. So Italy are in the Australian 22. They've got quite a good chance. They've been kind of working forward quite nicely. It's one of their best passages of the game. David Pocock comes in, turns the ball over brilliantly, kind of just pilfers it, drops it off to one side, offloads it. Genia ships it on to Quade Cooper, who's got men spare. And he kind of dummies, he goes straight through. He makes 30, 40 yards downfield. He's looking outside the whole time. He's trying to time the pass. He's trying to time yes. it for the opposition man to come in. Trying to time it for when someone comes in. He's got two men left to beat. He's got three men outside him. And all backs as well, like all quick people there. One of the backs might be Radiki Sartmo, but, you know, he's a winger. So <laughs> he then dummies, he's going, he's going. He's got two men in front of him. He's got Parise. He steps and absolutely does Parise. But as he's doing him, as he's going past him, he's with just Marcy <laughs> and three men to beat. Anthony Fahinga comes hurling from downfield, having started like 30 yards behind Cooper, and just hammers himself into Parise and just takes him out completely. Just clean off, bam, ant finger straight into Parise and gets done for obstruction. And the whole chance is gone when it was a clear cut try in a game where there'd been no space whatsoever. Just because ant finger runs into Parise after Quaid had already stepped or as he was being stepped. Oh, like, it was brilliant. Because it it's like a security guard chasing after a bouncer, wasn't it? Yes. Like he eyed up Parise from like 50 yards away, like, right, I'm, I'm going to have you. And then just nails him. Yeah. And he's like, what could that possibly have done any good? <laughs> and he sort of just drops a shoulder. It's yeah. like an NFL thing of like him spotting the blocker and him going in to hit him yeah. when he hits the star quarterback. It's bizarre. As you said, there's nothing to gain from it. And it was his yeah. only involvement in the game, was he, he knocked the ball on and he gave away this penalty for crossing. 
he gets home and his mum asks him, oh, what did you do today? And just, oh, I don't know. I just smashed Parise, got penalised. Yeah. Anything else? No, not really. He's like, no, so. Sia wasn't playing. Your twin brother wasn't playing and he had a better game. <laughs> yeah. It's also, we established in our first episode that Tal Felice is the benchmark for statistics. Because yes. one of everything, doesn't yes. make any errors. So, therefore, Tal Felice would have been a better option outside centre for Australia than Anthony Fienger. I was going to say he's 100% better, but he's he's not because 100 times zero is still zero. True. Should Your, I do my yes. nominations? Your dick of the day. Okay. I mean, I've got Phil Kearns as one. Yes. Generally being cynical about both Alan Rowland and Italy yeah. all day. Eduardo Gori for, at the end, picking up Ben Alexander instead of the ball. <laughs> when he was trying to get it to his 10. And it's it sort of, Alexander was sort of lying all alongside. Right. And just kind of picks him up and kind of throws him to the side in a very Eduardo Gori kind of shithouse way. <laughs> Um, as I say, Luke Burgess for getting pinged for feeding in 2011. Bergamasco for playing. <laughs> and my final one, the winner of my day, yes. of the day for this game, was Tommaso Benvenuti. Okay. Because there is a point in the first half where Rocky Elson gets the ball and is going for a carry and sort of swerves outside the original forward, who's clearly a lot slower than Elson, and starts just eyeing up Benvenuti like, I am running at you. And Benvenuti very cleverly just drifts off him. And but bearing in mind, there's five meters between Elsom and the touchline. So and there's nobody else there on <laughs> Elsom's outside. So Benvenuti just drifts. I'd, in I'd wondered commas, that. I'd wondered and, why Benvenuti drifted. Yeah, because he, he didn't want to tackle uh, Elsom, <laughs> who just looked really, really angry. Like I'm going to flatten you. And Benvenuti just thought, no, 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 I don't fancy it. Do you want to step inside instead? <laughs> and it was like like he was marking the touch judge. And clearly that's just a man who just didn't want to tackle whatsoever. And I think a lot of wingers in the world will respect that. Oh, absolutely. If you've got a massive blindside flanker running at you really <laughs> angrily. And like, he wasn't running at the space. He was running at Benvenuti. Yeah. Until Benvenuti just opened up the space for him and just stepped out the way. Like, no, 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 do you want to make a break instead, <laughs> instead of killing me? There's another so, yeah. moment of Benvenuti, actually, where in the first half, one of the a ball comes loose and one of the Italian hacks it on and he's chasing. And he goes a good yard, overruns past the ball and tries to hack it on. And there's no ball in front of him. He's overran it already. He doesn't miss it because he's sprinting so fast. He's run past the ball. He's seen it behind him and just goes to kick anyway. In that way, you know, like when you miss a tackle and you kind of go, I'm not going to catch him anyway. I just dive to make it look better. Yeah. yeah, It's like he's doing that. But instead, his mistake is he's run past the ball when trying to kick it. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess there's two moments for Benvenuti. Yes. So yeah, he's my dick of the day, confirmed. Two good contenders there. Two yeah. two very strong dick of the day nominations. So that brings us to the end of a, another game in the 2011 Rugby World Cup, uh, Italy v Australia. We've managed to talk for quite a bit to say that was the game I had mm. the least notes on, by some margin. Yeah. Next week, we will be, or next time, we will be looking at Ireland beating the USA. But the USA put a pretty good fight in this match. Yeah, no, no, the USA... Well and truly punched above their weight, I think it's safe to say. So, join us next time. We'll be moving on to Italy v USA. Then after that, we've got another big one between South Africa and Wales. But that's not the next one. So the next one will be Ireland, Ireland USA. So we'll, we'll see you then for that. Thank you very much, everyone. Good night. Thank you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.